listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So last week, we kicked off a brand new series on Advent called Wait For It. And we're talking about all the things that we wait for. Christmas time is a time, and Advent is a, is a time of waiting, whether we're waiting for, for Santa to arrive or the gifts to appear under the Christmas tree, or, or we're waiting for a parking spot to open up at the mall. The season of Christmas is all about waiting. And as Christians, this is even more true because faith is all about waiting. By definition, this is what faith means. It means hoping for what is unseen, waiting for all good things to be fulfilled. Christianity is is future-oriented, which means we always have our eyes focused toward God and toward what He is going to do. Not just what He's doing now or has done in the past, but we look forward to the future because that is when God is going to fulfill all of His promises to us. So it's future-oriented. And last week we talked about waiting for for Christ's return. This week we're going to talk about peace. We wait for peace. Now, I'm guessing if I took a straw poll here, maybe I'm going out on a limb, but if I ask the question, uh, how peaceful is Christmas for you? My guess is I'm going to get some answers across the spectrum, but there's probably going to be a lot of versions of something like this. Are you serious, Pastor? I mean, between getting the family Christmas card out the door, baking cookies, attending my kids' concerts, Decorating, shoveling snow, wrapping presents, purchasing a Nintendo Switch for my pastor to show him how much I love him and care for him. Let's pause for a moment to appreciate that one. And rounding up a turtle dove and a partridge in a pear tree, peace is not the word I would use to describe my life right now. Busy, sure, joyful, maybe, but peaceful, boy, I don't know. I just don't know. What about you? How peaceful is your life right now? Peace sounds great, doesn't it? We all want it. We all long for it, but it sure seems elusive, doesn't it? When we look at the world around us, the situation doesn't get a whole lot better. There's a war in Ukraine. Our country is increasingly polarized. Politicians make promises they can't keep. Families are broken, divorce happens, friendships end, churches die. And this is not just me being a Debbie Downer. This is just what Solomon calls life under the sun, which is to say life this side of heaven, where we live in a broken, fallen world. And we experience a distinct lack of peace in our relationships, all of our relationships, our relationships with ourselves. Things are not right. They are not aligned as they should be. Our relationships with with other people, our relationships vertically with God are are not as they should be. And our relationship with all of creation is not as it should be. All of those relationships have been tainted by sin. 
And so we, we long and we hope and we wait for peace to be restored. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we continue to wait for it. We continue to wait for peace. Our text this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 11, beginning at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decline disputes, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah is my second favorite book in the Old Testament. You can ask me after the service what my first favorite book is. But part of the reason I love Isaiah so much is he's like a master artist painting layer upon layer of, of imagery. All of these beautiful pictures that he, he puts together and crafts and, and builds them one upon another, all, all to tell a story, a single story which points ahead to the coming Messiah, to Jesus Christ. In a lot of the other Old Testament prophets, you'll get glimpses and glimmers of that, but sometimes it's like you've got to do some deciphering or decoding to know exactly what they're meaning. But with Isaiah, it's crystal clear, and he points ahead to the peace that the reign of Jesus will usher in. So briefly, what I want us to do is we're going to take a look at just those three of those images that Isaiah paints in our text this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow these images that he gives us to preach to us. So a lot of times we, we, we hear about what is being said and we just kind of pass on by, but I want you to imagine today that we're kind of going through a museum, and I'm your tour guide, and we're going to stop at each of these three images to pause, to look, to reflect and to really notice the details that are there. So image number one. Now, as we approach this first picture, you may not be all that impressed. It's a stump. 
I don't know a lot of famous paintings that are stumps, but it's a stump, and we all know what a dead stump is. You've seen a stump before, nothing too exciting, right? It's a dead, dead piece of wood. It's, it's not alive. It's nothing but, but death, and we don't expect there to be any life in a stump. Slowly it decays, and, and it becomes rotten, right? The carpenter ants and the beetles get to it. Moss eventually overgrows it, and finally it gets to the point where you don't even remember that a stump was there at all. All of the rest of nature has just overgrown it. As many of you know, I grew up on a farm in northern Minnesota, and on this farm, right next to the house, we had a massive oak tree. And I love this oak tree. And whenever I think back to my childhood, I, I can't think of it without thinking of, of this oak tree. And we had a tire swing on it, so I remember the days we would spend out there with, with my dad pushing us, giving us underdogs, right? And we'd say, again, again, again. And, and he would be tired, but we wouldn't let him, we wouldn't give him a break. And he'd keep going. I remember the, the branch on this tree where a bunch of smaller branches came together. There was always a, a robin's nest there. I remember the, the part that I, I tried to, to climb up. So I, I, as I reflect on my childhood, I can't think of it without this tree being in the background. The acorns dropping and, and the leaves changing. But that tree isn't there anymore. About 10 years ago, a storm swept through, knocked a big branch down, knocked the majority of it down. My parents ended up cutting it up, hauling off the pieces, and all that's left was a stump. A stark reminder of where life used to flourish. The tree would never grow again. But in Isaiah's painting here, there's something unique about this particular stump, something that defies our imagination, something you would never expect. There's life growing out of it, isn't there? Listen to verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Out of this stumpy lump of death, new life is springing forth. What's Isaiah saying? Well, he's identifying this, this shoot, this, this sprig of life as being the coming Messiah. And remember, Isaiah prophesied some 700 years before Jesus was born. So this is pretty amazing. He says the Messiah would come from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Well, reflect back on your Old Testament for a moment, and you'll remember that Jesse was the father of King David who was the most well-known king of Israel. That's the, the family tree that the Messiah would come from. So this whole passage is a prophecy about King Jesus. And it's beautiful. Isaiah says he will rule wisely and justly and always do what is right. All of the things that earthly rulers fail to do again and again and again. And eventually this king is going to crush sin and wickedness underfoot and set up a world where peace reigns. You know, we as humans can't attain world peace. We need God incarnate to do it for us. We can't bring life out of death. We can't bring resurrection from the grave. But God can. The story of Jesus' earthly life, after all, didn't end at a cross, but at an empty tomb. So as we look and gaze upon this first picture, I invite you to consider the question, what are the stumps 
in my life, in my heart? What are the lifeless dead places, the places where it seems nothing good will ever come, where peace can never touch, where hurt and pain and stubbornness and hopelessness rule? What would it look like to expose those dead spots to the life-giving light of God's grace? To allow Him to, to bring new life and growth. We'll continue our tour of Isaiah's museum with this second image here. Verses 6 through 11. This is, in my opinion, some of the most Incredible imagery in all of Scripture. Listen to just a few of these lines. Just the, the contrasts here are, are so stark. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The cow and the bear shall graze. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. Is it even a lion anymore if it can do that? Man. But here's my favorite. Ready for it? Verse 8. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put its hand into the adder's den. Any parents or people who work with kids out there, did your heart rate just go, a little, go up a little bit reading that passage, right? That's kind of scary. Like parenting 101, don't let your newborns play with cobras. But that's kind of the whole point. Isaiah is prophesying the future where predator and prey will all lie down together and there won't be any danger. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, he says. Animals won't have to tear each other limb from limb. There won't be any discord between humans and nature. We won't have to carry bear spray into the wilderness or worry about the possibility of attack. See, when God returns to bring the new heavens and the new earth, it's not just human beings who are going to be redeemed. It is all of creation. Think about that. He's going to bring peace, not just to our hearts, but to the animals, birds, plants, trees, reptiles, all of them He is going to redeem and restore because of what Jesus did at the cross where He crushed the head of Satan, the most venomous serpent of all. I love what one early church father named Ambrose says about this passage. He says, The Word became flesh, put His hand into the serpent's den, removed the venom, took away sin. Isn't that good? You know, sometimes I'll hear people wax eloquent about how wonderful and, and beautiful and perfect the animal kingdom is, like it's a Thomas Kincaid picture or uh, something from, a, from a, the Hallmark Channel. And I tend to think, have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? Have you ever seen the wolf pack take down the caribou cub? Have you ever seen the pride of lions take down the giraffe in a bloody battle? Yes, nature can be lovely, but it's also vicious. As some have said, red in tooth and claw. 
Sheep die in childbirth. Not childbirth. Sheep birth. What do you call that? There you go. <laughs> My non-farmer side is showing. But this happens, doesn't it? Cows throw out their wombs. Our beloved pets don't last. There are things we just can't fix. There are wounds we can't heal. This is not how it was supposed to be. And God knows this. That's why he sent Jesus to make it right. He promises that one day soon all of this pain over our broken world will end. All of our, our tears, they will not last. And God will redeem, restore, and reconcile his lost and broken creation so that peace will reign once again. Just wait for it, he tells us. As we wrap up our whirlwind tour of Isaiah's museum this morning, he introduces us to a third and final image in verse 10. Uh, my translation, I'm using the ESV, calls it a signal. Some of your translations may say it's a banner or a flag. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal or a, a flag or a banner, for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. See, the picture here is of a banner on a battlefield where, where troops would rally in the middle of a fight. Isaiah identifies the, this banner, this, this banner that would be lifted high as being Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is lifted up as the signal flag in the heat of battle, and people from all nations are, are just running to it, and, and he is rescuing them. Now, notice he uses the words nations and, and peoples here. This is really, really important. This isn't the first time Isaiah has done this either. Actually, it's kind of a theme with him. He's talking about the, the broad scope of God's salvation plan, that it's not just for the people of Israel, but it gets expanded to include the Gentiles too. You see, God's plan, God's people, not just insiders, but outsiders as well. In chapter 2, Isaiah speaks of all nations flowing to Mount Zion. And in chapter 5, he says that God will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. How cool of an image is that? God whistling to people from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily, they come. God's specially chosen nation, Israel, they were never created just for their own benefit. To hoard the riches of God's blessing, and not to share them with others. God never wants His people, His church, to be some kind of exclusive club where only certain caliber individuals are allowed in, right? You must be this tall to ride the Jesus train. You must be this good or this moral to qualify for church. Instead, as Jesus says, it is the sick. It is the sick not those who are well, who need a physician. God's bride may be the church, but his heart is for the lost sheep. He came to seek and to save the lost, to eat and drink with sinners. 
to spend time cultivating relationships with unsavory folks among whom we are the foremost. The ones the rest of the world deems too sinful to even associate it with. Which is all just another way of saying we serve a missionary God and we are His missionary people. Wherever you live, work, and play, that is your mission field. And no two mission fields are identical. Did you know that? That you are God's missionary and where He has placed you and where He has called you, the people you interact with, your classmates, your teammates, your coworkers, you are a missionary there called to bring God's message of love and forgiveness in the hopes that others will come to Jesus. He has called you to raise high the banner of peace. So as we wrap up this morning, I'll just ask you this question. Where might God be calling you to raise that banner this Christmas season? Where might he be calling you to raise the banner of peace? Where is peace needed the most? Where can you be an agent of peace? Like I said, I, I grew up in northern Minnesota. And as you entered the, the small town of, of Gonvick, Minnesota, population 340, you're going uh, north on, uh, on the Pine Lake Road, and it, right where it intersects with 92, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Stop sign there, look to the left. There was a sign, and it said this. It said, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. The first two words for those who are listening is the word no, N-O. The, the, the second two, it's K-N-O-W. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. I was thinking, you know, I don't know that I can say it much better than that. Apart from Christ, there will always be division, disunity, disharmony. Despite what the Beatles may sing or what government officials may promise, our attempts at world peace will always fall far short. And that's not me being pessimistic either. That's just an honest appraisal of human nature. Our hearts are just too self-centered for that. As a wise man once said, the human race constantly forgets that he is not God. I would agree with that. But with Jesus, with God, God with us, Emmanuel, right? There is peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace which guards our hearts and minds, as the Apostle Paul says, Jesus made peace with God by living and dying in our place for our sins, and rising again. His perfect sacrifice bridges the gap between sinful humanity and our perfect Heavenly Father. And that peace is available to anyone who believes, anyone who trusts, anyone who has faith. So we wait for it. We wait for peace. We wait for the day when that dead stump will give way to a full-grown tree. We wait for the day when the lion will lie down with the lamb. We wait for the day when people from all nations will flock to Jesus. But in the meantime, he gives us these words to cling to. 
And I'll let Jesus have the last word this morning. This is John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.